Chapter 7 of Elsie Venner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Elsie Venner by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Chapter 7 The Event of the Season. Mr. and Mrs. Colonel Sproul's compliments to Mr. Langdon and request the pleasure of his company at a social entertainment on wednesday evening next elm street monday on paper of a pinkish color and musky smell with a large s at the top and an embossed border envelope adherent not sealed addressed langdon esq present brought by h frederick sproul youngest son of the colonel the h of course standing for the paternal hezekiah put in to please the father and reduced to its initial to please the mother she having a marked preference for frederick boy directed to wait for an answer mr langdon has the pleasure of accepting mr and mrs colonel sproul's polite invitation for wednesday evening on plain paper sealed with an initial in walking along the main street, Mr. Bernard had noticed a large house of some pretensions to architectural display, namely unnecessarily projecting eaves, giving it a mushroomy aspect, wooden mouldings at various available points, and a grandiose arched portico. It looked a little swaggering by the side of one or two of the mansion-houses that were not far from it was painted too bright for Mr. Bernard's taste, had rather too fanciful a fence before it, and had some fruit-trees planted in the front yard, which to this fastidious young gentleman implied a defective sense of the fitness of things, not promising in people who lived in so large a house with a mushroom roof and a triumphal arch for its entrance this place was known as colonel sprell's villa genteel friends as the elegant residence of our distinguished fellow-citizen colonel sprell rockland weekly universe as the new house old settlers as sprell's folly disaffected and possibly envious neighbors and in common discourse as the colonel's hezekiah sprell esq Colonel Sproul of the Commonwealth's militia, was a retired merchant, an India merchant he might, perhaps, have been properly called, for he used to deal in West India goods, such as coffee, sugar, and molasses, not to speak of rum, also in tea, salt fish, butter, and cheese, oil and candles, dried fruit, agricultural produce, generally, industrial products, such as boots and shoes and various kinds of iron and woodenware and at one end of the establishment in calicoes and other stuffs to say nothing of miscellaneous objects of the most varied nature from sticks of candy which tempted in the smaller youth with coppers in their fists up to ornamental articles of apparel pocket-books breastpins gilt-edged bibles stationary in short everything which was like to prove seductive to the rural population 
the colonel had made money in trade and also by matrimony he had married sarah daughter and heiress of the late teakle jordan esq an old miser who gave the town clock which carries his name to posterity in large gilt letters as a generous benefactor of his native place in due time the colonel reaped the reward of well-placed affections when his wife's inheritance fell in he thought he had money enough to give up trade and therefore sold out his store called in some dialects of the english language shop and his business life became pretty hard work to him of course as soon as he had nothing particular to do country people with money enough not to have to work are in much more danger than city people in the same condition they get a specific look and character which are the same in all the villages where one studies them they very commonly fall into a routine the basis of which is going to some lounging place or other a bar-room a reading-room or something of the kind they grow slovenly in dress and wear the same hat forever they have a feeble curiosity for news perhaps which they take daily as a man takes his bitters and then fall silent and think they are thinking but the mind goes out under this regimen like a fire without a draught and it is not very strange if the instinct of mental self-preservation drives them to brandy and water which makes the hoarse whisper of memory musical for a few brief moments and puts a weak leer of promise on the features of the hollow-eyed future the colonel was kept pretty well in hand as yet by his wife and though it had happened to him once or twice to come home rather late at night with a curious tendency to say the same thing twice and even three times over it had always been in very cold weather and everybody knows that no one is safe to drink a couple of glasses of wine in a warm room and go suddenly out into the cold air miss matilda sproul the sole daughter of the house had reached the age at which young ladies are supposed in technical language to have come out and thereafter are considered to be in company there's one piece of goods said the colonel to his wife that we haven't disposed of nor got a customer for yet that's matildy i don't mean to set her up at van du i guess she can have her pick of a dozen she's never seen anybody yet said mrs sproul who had had a certain project for some time but had kept quiet about it let's have a party and give her a chance to show herself and see some of the young folks the colonel was not very clear-headed and he thought naturally enough that the party was his own suggestion because his remark led to the first starting of the idea he entered into the plan therefore with a feeling of pride as well as pleasure and the great project was resolved upon in a family council without a dissentient voice this was the party then to which mr bernard was going the town had been full of it for a week everybody was asked so everybody said that was invited but how in respect of those who were not asked if it had been one of the old mansion houses that was giving a party the boundary between the favored and the slighted families would have been pretty well known beforehand 
and there would have been no great amount of grumbling but the colonel for all his title had a forest of poor relations and a brushwood swamp of shabby friends for he had scrambled up to fortune and now the time was come when he must define his new social position this is always an awkward business in town or country an exclusive alliance between two powers is often the same thing as a declaration of war against a third rockland was soon split into a triumphant minority invited to mrs sprell's party and a great majority uninvited of which the fraction just on the border-line between recognized gentility and the level of the ungloved masses was in an active state of excitement and indignation who is she i should like to know said mrs saymour the tailor's wife there was plenty of folks in rockland as good as ever sally jordan was if she had managed to pick up a merchant other folks could have married merchants if their families wasn't as wealthy as them old skinflints that wilt her their money etc etc mrs saymour expressed the feeling of many beside herself she had however a special right to be proud of the name she bore her husband was own cousin to the saymours of freestone avenue who write the name seymour and claimed to be of the duke of somerset's family showing a clear descent from the protector to edward seymour sixteen thirty then a jump that would break a herald's neck to one seth seymour seventeen eighty three from whom to the head of the present family the line is clear again mrs saymour the tailor's wife was not invited because her husband mended clothes if he had confined himself strictly to making them it would have put a different face upon the matter the landlord of the mountain house and his lady were invited to mrs sprowl's party not so the landlord of pollard's tavern and his lady whereupon the latter vowed that they would have a party at their house too and made arrangements for a dance of twenty or thirty couples to be followed by an entertainment tickets to this social ball were soon circulated and being accessible to all at a moderate price admission to the elegant supper included this second festival promised to be as merry if not as select as the great party wednesday came such doings had never been heard of in rockland as went on that day at the villa the carpet had been taken up in the long room so that the young folks might have a dance miss matilda's piano had been moved in and two fiddlers and a clarinet player engaged to make music all kinds of lamps had been put in requisition and even colored wax candles figured on the mantelpieces the costumes of the family had been tried on the day before the colonel's black suit fitted exceedingly well his lady's velvet dress displayed her contours to advantage miss matilda's flowered silk was considered superb the eldest son of the family mr t jordan sprowl called affectionately and elegantly geordie voted himself stunning and even the small youth who had borne mr bernard's invitation was effective in a new jacket and trousers buttony in front and baggy in the reverse aspect as is wont to be the case 
with the home-made garments of inland youngsters great preparations had been made for the refection which was to be part of the entertainment there was much clinking of borrowed spoons which were to be carefully counted and much clicking of borrowed china which was to be tenderly handled for nobody in the country keeps those vast closets full of such things which one may see in rich city houses not a great deal could be done in the way of flowers for there were no greenhouses and few plants were out as yet but there were paper ornaments for the candlesticks and colored mats for the lamps and all the tassels of the curtains and bells were taken out of those brown linen bags in which for reasons hitherto undiscovered they are habitually concealed in some households in the remoter apartments every imaginable operation was going on at once roasting boiling baking beating rolling pounding in mortars frying freezing for there was to be ice-cream to-night of domestic manufacture and in the midst of all these labors mrs sprowl and miss matilda were moving about directing and helping as they best might all day long when the evening came it might be feared that they would not be in just the state of mind and body to entertain company one would like to give a party now and then if one could be a billionaire antoine i am going to have twenty people to dine to-night biens madame not a word or thought more about it but get home in season to dress and come down to your own table one of your own guests giuseppe we are to have a party a week from to-night five hundred invitations there is the list the day comes madame do you remember you have your party to-night why so i have everything right supper and all all as it should be madame send up victorine victorine full toilet for this evening pink diamonds and emeralds coiffure at seven allez billionism or even millionism must be a blessed kind of state with health and clear conscience and youth and good looks but most blessed is this that it takes off all the mean cares which give people the three wrinkles between the eyebrows and leaves them free to have a good time and make others have a good time all the way along from the charity that tips up unexpected loads of wood before widows houses and leaves foundling turkeys upon poor men's doorsteps and sets lean clergymen crying at the sight of anonymous fifty-dollar bills to the taste which orders a perfect banquet in such sweet accord with every sense that everybody's nature flowers out full-blown in its golden glowing fragrant atmosphere a great party given by the smaller gentry of the interior is a kind of solemnity so to speak it involves so much labor and anxiety its spasmodic splendors are so violently contrasted with the homeliness of everyday family life it is such a formidable matter to break in the raw subordinates to the menage of the cloak-room and the table there is such a terrible uncertainty in the results of unfamiliar culinary operations so many feuds are involved in drawing that fatal line which divides the invited from the uninvited fraction of the local universe that if the note requested the pleasure of the guest's company 
on this solemn occasion they would pretty nearly express the true state of things the colonel himself had been pressed into the service he had pounded something in the great mortar he had agitated a quantity of sweetened and thickened milk in what was called a cream freezer at eleven o'clock a m he retired for a space on returning his color was noted to be somewhat heightened and he showed a disposition to be jocular with the female help which tendency displaying itself in livelier demonstrations than were approved at headquarters led to his being detailed to out-of-door duties such as raking gravel arranging places for horses to be hitched to and assisting in the construction of an arch of wintergreen at the porch of the mansion a whiff from mr geordie's cigar refreshed the toiling females from time to time for the windows had to be opened occasionally while all these operations were going on and the youth amused himself with inspecting the interior encouraging the operatives now and then in the phrases commonly employed by genteel young men for he had perused an odd volume of verdant green and was acquainted with a sophomore from one of the freshwater colleges go it on the feed exclaimed this spirited young man nothin like a good spread grub enough and good liquor that's the ticket Governor will do the heavy polite and let me alone for polishing off the young charmers and mr geordie looked expressively at a handmaid who was rolling gingerbread as if he were rehearsing for don giovanni evening came at last and the ladies were forced to leave the scene of their labors to array themselves for the coming festivities the tables had been set in a back room the meats were ready the pickles were displayed the cake was baked the blancmange had stiffened and the ice cream had frozen at half past seven o'clock the colonel in costume came into the front parlor and proceeded to light the lamps some were good-humored enough and took the hint of a lighted match at once others were as vicious as they could be would not light on any terms any more than if they were filled with water or lighted and smoked one side of the chimney or spattered a few sparks and sulked themselves out or kept up a faint show of burning so that their ground glasses looked as feebly phosphorescent as so many invalid fireflies with much coaching and screwing and pricking a tolerable illumination was at last achieved at eight there was a grand rustling of silks and mrs and miss sprowl descended from their respective bowers or boudoirs of course they were pretty well tired by this time and very glad to sit down having the prospect before them of being obliged to stand for hours the colonel walked about the parlor inspecting his regiment of lamps by and by mr geordie entered hum hum he sniffed as he came in you smell of lamp smoke here that always galls people to have a newcomer accuse them of smoke or close air which they have got used to and do not perceive the colonel raged at the thought of his lamps smoking and tongued a few anathemas inside of his shut teeth but turned down two or three wicks that burned higher than the rest master h frederick next made his appearance with questionable marks upon his fingers and countenance 
had been tampering with something brown and sticky his elder brother grew playful and caught him by the baggy reverse of his more essential garment hush said mrs sprell there's the bell everybody took position at once and began to look very smiling and altogether at ease false alarm only a parcel of spoons loaned as the inland folks say when they meant lent by a neighbor better late than never said the colonel let me heft them spoons mrs sprell came down into her chair again as if all her bones had been bewitched out of her i'm pretty nigh beat out already said she before any of the folks has come they sat silent a while waiting for the first arrival how nervous they got and how their senses were sharpened hark said miss matilda what's that rumblin it was a cart going over a bridge more than a mile off which at any other time they would not have heard after this there was a lull and poor mrs sprell's head nodded once or twice presently a crackling and grinding of gravel how much that means when we are waiting for those whom we long or dread to see then a change in the tone of the gravel crackling yes they have turned in at our gate they are coming mother mother everybody in position smiling and at ease bell rings enter the first set of visitors the event of the season has begun law it's nothin but the crane's folks i do believe mahala's come in that old green delaine she wore at the surprise party miss matilda had peeped through a crack of the door and made this observation and the remark founded thereon continuing her attitude of attention she overheard mrs crane and her two daughters conversing in the attiring room up one flight how fine everything is in the great house said mrs crane just look at the pictures matilde sprell's drawings said ada azuba the eldest daughter i should think so said mahala crane her younger sister a wide-awake girl who hadn't been to school for nothing and performed a little on the lead pencil herself i should like to know whether there's a haycock or a mountain miss matilda winced for this must refer to her favorite monochrome executed by laying on heavy shadows and stumping them down into mellow harmony the style of drawing which is taught in six lessons and the kind of specimen which is executed in something less than one hour parents and other very near relatives are sometimes gratified with these productions and cause them to be framed and hung up as in the present instance i guess we won't go down just yet said mrs crane as folks don't seem to have come so she began a systematic inspection of the dressing-room and its conveniences mahogany four-poster come from the jordans i call that a marseilles quilt ruffles all round the pillar chintz curtings just put up oh purpose for the party i'll lay ye a dollar what a nice washbowl taps it with a white knuckle belonging to a red finger stone chaney here's a brand new brush and comb and here's a scent bottle come here girls and fix yourselves in the glass and scent your pocket handkerchers and mrs crane bedewed her own kerchief with some of the eau de cologne of native manufacture 
said on its label to be much superior to the German article. It was a relief to Mrs. and the Miss Cranes when the bell rang and the next guests were admitted, Deacon and Mrs. Soper, Deacon Soper of the Reverend Mr. Fairweather's church and his lady. Mrs. Deacon Soper was directed, of course, to the ladies' dressing-room and her husband to the other apartment where gentlemen were to leave their outside coats and hats. Then came Mr. and Mrs. Briggs, and then the three Miss Spineys, and then Silas Peckham, head of the Apollinian Institute, and Mrs. Peckham, and more after them, until at last the ladies' dressing-room got so full that one might have thought it was a trap none of them could get out of. In truth, they all felt a little awkwardly. Nobody wanted to be first to venture downstairs. At last Mr. Silas Peckham thought it was time to make a move for the parlor, and for this purpose presented himself at the door of the ladies' dressing-room. "'Lorindy, my dear,' he exclaimed to Mrs. Peckham, "'I think there can be no impropriety in our joining the family downstairs.' Mrs. Peckham laid her large, flaccid arm in the sharp angle made by the black sleeve, which held the bony limb her husband offered, and the two took the stair and struck out for the parlor. The ice was broken, and the dressing-room began to empty itself into the spacious, lighted apartments below. Mr. Silas Peckham slid into the room with Mrs. Peckham alongside, like a shad convoying a jellyfish. "'Good evening, Mrs. Sproul. I hope I see you well this evening. How's your health, Colonel Sproul?' "'Very well. Much obliged to you. Hope you and your good lady are well. Much pleased to see you. Hope you'll enjoy yourselves. We've laid out to have everything in good shape. Spared no trouble nor expense,' said Silas Peckham. Mrs. Colonel Sproul, who you remember was a Jordan, had nipped the Colonel's statement in the middle of the word Mr. Peckham finished, with a look that jerked him like one of those sharp twitches women keep giving a horse when they get a chance to drive one. Mr. and Mrs. Crane, Miss Ada Azuba, and Miss Mahala Crane made their entrance. There had been a discussion about the necessity and propriety of inviting this family, the head of which kept a small shop for hats and boots and shoes. The colonel's casting vote had carried it in the affirmative. How terribly the poor old green Delane did cut up in the blaze of so many lamps and candles. Deluded little wretch, male or female, in town or country, going to your first great party, how little you know the nature of the ceremony in which you are to bear the part of victim. What? Are not these garlands and gauzy mists and many-colored streamers which adorn you? Is not this music which welcomes you, this radiance that glows about you, meant solely for your enjoyment? Young miss of seventeen or eighteen summers, now for the first time swimming unto the frothy, chatoyant, sparkling, undulating sea of laces and silks and satins, and white-armed, flower-crowned maidens struggling in their waves beneath the lusters that make the false summer of the drawing-room. Stop at the threshold. This is a hall of judgment you are entering. The court is in session, and if you move five steps forward, you will be at its bar. 
There was a tribunal once in France, as you may remember, called the Chambre Ardente, the Burning Chamber. It was hung all round with lamps, and hence its name. The Burning Chamber, for the trial of young maidens, is the blazing ballroom. What have they full dressed, you think, or rather half dressed you for, do you think? To make you look pretty, of course. Why have they hung a chandelier above you, flickering all over with flames, so that it searches you like the noonday sun, and your deepest dimple cannot hold a shadow? To give brilliancy to the gay scene, no doubt. No, my dear, society is inspecting you, and it finds undisguised surfaces and strong lights a convenience in the process. The dance answers the purpose of the revolving pedestal upon which the white captive turns to show us the soft, kneaded marble, which looks as if it had never been hard in all its manifold aspects of living loveliness. No mercy for you, my love. Justice, strict justice, you shall certainly have, neither more nor less. For, look you, there are dozens, scores, hundreds, with whom you must be weighed in the balance, and you have got to learn that the struggle for life Mr. Charles Darwin talks about reaches to vertebrates clad in crinoline as well as to mollusks in shells or articulates in jointed scales or anything that fights for breathing-room and food and love in any coat of fur or feather happy they who can flash defiance from bright eyes and snowy shoulders back into the pendants of the insolent lusters miss mahala crane did not have these reflections and no young girl ever did or ever will thank heaven her keen eyes sparkled under her plainly parted hair, and the green delaine moulded itself in those unmistakable lines of natural symmetry in which nature indulges a small shopkeeper's daughter occasionally, as well as a wholesale dealer's young ladies. She would have liked a new dress as much as any other girl, but she meant to go and have a good time, at any rate. The guests were now arriving in the drawing-room pretty fast, and the colonel's hand began to burn a good deal with the sharp squeezes which many of the visitors gave it. Conversations which had begun like a summer shower in scattering drops was fast becoming continuous and occasionally rising into gusty swells, with now and then a broad-chested laugh from some captain or major or other military personage for it may be noted that all large and loud men in the unpaved districts bear military titles deacon soper came up presently and entered into conversation with colonel sprell i hope to see our pastor present this evening said the deacon i don't feel quite sure the colonel answered his dyspepsy has been bad on him lately he wrote to say that providence permitting it would be agreeable to him to take a part in the exercises of the evening, but I mistrusted he didn't mean to come. To tell the truth, Deacon Soper, I rather guess he didn't like the idea of dancing and some of the other little arrangements. Well, said the deacon, I know there's some condemns dancing. I've heard a good deal of talk about it among the folks round. Some have it that it never brings a blessin' on a house to have dancing in it. Judge Tileston died, you remember, within a month after he had his great ball twelve year ago, 
and some thought it was in the nature of a judgment. I don't believe in any of them notions. If a man happened to be struck dead the night after he'd been given a ball, the colonel loosened his black stock a little and winked and swallowed two or three times, I shouldn't call it a judgment. I should call it a coincidence. But I'm a little afraid our pastor won't come. Something or other's the matter with Mr. Fairweather. I should sooner expect to see the old doctor come over out of the orthodox parsonage house. I've asked him, said the colonel. Well, said Deacon Soper. He said he should like to come, but he didn't know what his people would say. For his part, he loved to see young folks having their sports together, and very often felt as if he should like to be one of em himself. But, says I, doctor, I don't say there won't be a little dancin'. Don't, says he, for I want Letty to go. She's his granddaughter that's been stayin' with him. And Letty's mighty fond of dancin'. You know, says the doctor, it isn't my business to settle whether other people's children should dance or not. And the doctor looked as if he should like to rigadoon and sashay across as well as the young one he was talkin' about. He's got blood in him, the old doctor has. I wish our little man and him would swap pulpits. Deacon Soper started and looked up into the colonel's face, as if to see whether he was in earnest. Mr. Silas Peckham and his lady joined the group. Is this to be a temperance celebration, Mrs. Sprell? asked Mr. Silas Peckham. Mrs. Sprell replied that there would be lemonade and shrub for those that preferred such drinks, but that the colonel had given folks to understand that he didn't mean to set in judgment on the marriage in Canaan, and that those who didn't like shrub and such things would find something that would suit them better. Deacon Soper's countenance assumed a certain air of restrained cheerfulness. The conversation rose into one of its gusty paroxysms just then. Master H. Frederick got behind a door and began performing the experiment of stopping and unstopping his ears in rapid alternation, greatly rejoicing in the singular effect of mixed conversation chopped very small, like the contents of a mince pie, or meat pie, as it is more forcibly called in the deep rutted villages lying along the unsalted streams. All at once it grew silent just round the door where it had been loudest, and the silence spread itself like a stain till it hushed everything but a few cornered duets. A dark, sad-looking, middle-aged gentleman entered the parlor with a young lady on his arm, his daughter as it seemed, for she was not wholly unlike him, in feature, and of the same dark complexion. "'Dudley Venner!' exclaimed a dozen people in startled but half-suppressed tones. "'What can have brought Dudley out to-night?' said Jefferson Buck, a young fellow who had been interrupted in one of the corner duets which he was executing in concert with Miss Susie Pettingill. "'How do I know, Jeff?' was Miss Susie's answer. Then, after a pause, Elsie made him come, I guess. Go ask Dr. Kittredge. He knows all about them both, they say. Dr. Kittredge, the leading physician of Rockland, was a shrewd old man who looked pretty keenly into his patients through his spectacles and pretty widely at men, women, and things in general over them. Sixty-three years old, just the year of the grand climacteric. 
a bald crown as every doctor should have a consulting practitioner's mouth that is movable round the corners while the case is under examination but both corners well drawn down and kept so when the final opinion is made up in fact the doctor was often sent for to act as counsel all over the county and beyond it he kept three or four horses sometimes riding in the saddle commonly driving in a sulky pretty fast and looking straight before him so that people got out of the way of bowing to him as he passed on the road there was some talk about his not being so long-sighted as other folks but his old patients laughed and looked knowing when this was spoken of the doctor knew a good many things besides how to drop tinctures and shake out powders thus he knew a horse and what is harder to understand a horse dealer and was a match for him he knew what a nervous woman is and how to manage her he could tell at a glance when she is in that condition of unstable equilibrium in which a rough word is like a blow to her and the touch of unmagnetized fingers reverses all her nervous currents it is not everybody that enters into the soul of mozart's or beethoven's harmonies and there are vital symphonies in b flat and other low sad keys which a doctor may know as little of as a hurdy-gurdy player of the essence of those divine musical mysteries the doctor knew the difference between what men say and what they mean as well as most people when he was listening to common talk he was in the habit of looking over his spectacles if he lifted his head so as to look through them at the person talking he was busier with that person's thoughts than with his words end of chapter seven part one and mrs and miss sprowl and mrs and miss sprowl and mrs and miss sprowl